So, did you think that they were going to get back to Deep Space Nine this quickly? Not quite, but at the same time, it felt like a fine amount of time. Like, they... The, the, this six-episode arc was extremely well done, I would say, um, in terms of setting up a bunch of plot points, fit, fitting everything. Certainly, there's the impetus for the next arc of the season, which is the rest of the war, but mm-hmm. – um, and, and again, I'm not sure how long of this season will be based on the war. I'm going to assume it's at least the lion's share of it, but um, – you know, yeah, it felt very satisfying. It was a good and I uh, the the way that it introduced certain, you know, themes and stuff and the way it resolved certain characters and there I, I I was very happy with this. Yeah, I mean I think it's done very well and certainly especially the the last episode, mm. Favor the Bold, is or which one is it? Sacrifice of Angels um is the second one. I always forget which of the two it is. Uh, is is very very well constructed and and we'll definitely talk about that. I mean I don't know if we're going to talk about these as separate episodes or not. I don't think we necessarily can because they are very much they are part yeah. one and part two of the. I mean the second one begins immediately. Yeah, and what I want to talk. I think what I want to start out with is this idea of DS Nine as a serialized show and how the show. We've talked about how the show has been different in its storytelling structure from the next generation which of course was its antecedent Mm -hmm. and or precedent i don't remember which one it is and these six episodes are at an interesting crossroads i think for the series because the first episode of the season was very much set up as a continuation of the yeah season finale of season five then of course the next three episodes had no previously on no this is the continuing no to be continued they definitely were discrete stories told in this space but they were also very serialized plot points were carrying over from episode to episode in a way that we haven't necessarily seen the show do before yeah it's very clear that these six episodes were kind of and partially and possibly even the uh, season previous season finale were kind of outlined together in a way. You know, they knew kind of that. All right, episode six is going to be them getting back to the station. What's going to happen in the meantime? What do we need to set up for that? What do we need to? Uh, how how is this plot going to work? Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think I mean I don't know if that's what they did or not, but it seems likely that that's what they did because this was very well structured and very well planned. You know, at the same time, when you get to to favor the bold and sacrifice of angels, suddenly there's a previously on again. Yeah, there's a to be continued, and it feels a little weird. It feels like it's a sh- it, the show yeah. is taking a step back again because they didn't do that for most of this six episode arc. And again, be, especially ending with you know, and now the conclusion. So, I mean, I'm going to assume that there's going to be an episode uh, or two at least, which is things quote unquote getting back to normal at the station there going to figure out how they need to hold the station for the rest of the time yeah but it doesn't feel like a conclusion in the sense that again though this is that first major battle that they've been needing to win this is a sign that the tide is going to turn for the federation but the dominion isn't defeated right i think it's a recognition at least on the show's creative team that the war is too big of a storyline to get rid of in six episodes and it would be very unfair to the buildup that the yeah. show has done 
in the previous three seasons to have this, you know, big war that they've been, you know, intimating has been is going to happen literally for three seasons in six episodes. And I think it's a recognition of that. You know, it is kind of a weird teetering on the edge sort of situation where I don't know that Deep Space Nine, I think, you know, I've said this in the past, I think that Deep Space Nine does get a little bit overblown as a serialized show. It certainly is, at least in some elements, but overall it is not serialized in the same way something like Breaking Bad is, for example, or Game of Thrones. But at the same time, uh, I I would say the Dominion is as important of a threat to the Federation as, for example, the Borg was, and the Borg was not given this kind of a buildup. The Borg was storyline was not serialized and planned in this way. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, and I, I think, mean, nothing in DS, not, even though there was a lot of continuity on TNG, there was nothing even remotely touching. I mean, I remember when, uh, what was it, season two began with that three-part arc, and that was... Oh, in DS9, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge thing, and now we have a six-part seven even yeah i well i think it's interesting too because if you look at something like the borg for example you know that was that you that was still under the storytelling strictures of everything has to be closed up in a neat bow at the end of the episode and a two-part structure was a way to get around that a little bit and the borg also was a very sort of discreet thing whereas a war by its very nature is ongoing you don't wrap up a war necessarily quickly and so it is going to be i mean you know, I know how the show does it, of course, because I've seen it before. But I, I, I wonder if you, I mean, you know, you've said, okay, well, the war, I don't know how long the war takes. Yeah. It's going to be getting back to normal. Um, one of the episodes next week, I will tell you, is absolutely horrible. Uh, <laughs> in a, it's a bad episode or emotionally difficult. As, as it's, in, it's bad. Oh. Um, and you'll find out next week which episode that <laughs> is. But, and one of the episodes is quite good. But it is one of those things where, you know, well, I want to ask you, do do you think that the show is, I mean, it's not going to have the space to have every single episode. I mean, the show does not become, you know, a, you know, wall to wall serialized yeah. war story. And I don't think you're expecting I'm not, no. that. But I do wonder, the question I want to ask you is, you know, are you, do you, do you have a sense of what the next 20 episodes of the season are going to look like. I mean, uh, uh, again, I figured that the, you know, the first leg of the war is going to be about getting DS9 again. And, you know, at this point, it even seems that Gold Cop might be out of the picture as a major player uh, in, in things. Certainly, he is not going to be ro- roaming free in the next He is not episodes. running the Cardassian government Yeah, anymore. no, he's going to be in a nice Federation facility with, you know— Well— Let's let's do this a little differently this week. Okay. Let's work backwards because I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens, where we end up, and where we actually yeah. started at. So the first thing is let's talk about Gold Dukat. Yeah. I you know a thing that Gold Dukat has this thing when he's talking to Wei Yun about, you know, what winning the war entails. Uh and Wei Yun basically says, like, look, we can just destroy Earth. Like, that'll be really yeah. easy. You know, that'll be, for something like the Dominion, that is very easy. And Gold Dukat's like, no, we're not just going to destroy Earth. We're going to make, you know, we're going to conquer Earth. You know, you haven't really, you know, for Dukat, victory isn't killing your enemy. Because that's easy. Anybody can, you know. Yeah. You, whoever has the bigger gun is going to do it. 
victory for Golducott and by extension for Cardassians means getting your enemy to acknowledge that you've won. There's a humiliation element to that. And that end moment, I think, is Golducott in that state. He has lost everything. Uh, and, you know, the fact that he hands Cisco the baseball at the end, that's his fu- – like, I was wondering how they were going to get that baseball back to Cisco. Obviously, the moment he left it, you know, you knew that we were going to make a big moment. And, you know, but the fact that Ducat, you know, physically hands them to it is physically admitting his own defeat. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, Gold Ducat just didn't get killed. He got conquered. Yeah. And I think that's a – I mean, to a degree, I almost feel a tiny bit bad for him. I think he, if he, if if what he's saying to his daughter at the end, you know, about oh, I forgive you, it doesn't matter, you know, I just we just you know, and where he wants to seem to figure out some way of reconciling this irreconcilable thing, I think by that point now it took him losing everything to get to that point, but I think at that point he's been beating down that he's not lying anymore. Yeah, certainly. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that there's a couple ways to take that. I think first off, what you say about Gold Ducat, his statement that you don't destroy your enemies, you conquer them, I think is probably the clearest distillation of why the Cardassians occupied Bajor mm. for so long. You know, for, for 50 years, I think is how long it was. And why would they do that? They, they do that again because this is in the Cardassian nature. This yeah. is what they want to do. They don't just want to destroy the planet. They want to make it part of the Cardassian Empire. I think that also if you look at it in the way the Cardassians, especially Gul Dukat, are still obsessed with Bajor. You know, yeah. he has that great line where, you know, he says something like, do you think there are any statues of me on Bajor? <laughs> and Wayun says, I would guess not. I- and, you know, it's, it's both a, a telling moment and a very, very sad moment because... I think Golducott genuinely believes that there should be statues of him on Bajor. He almost is tra- – he kind of treats Bajor like an ex that, you know, he never got over. He's like, well, does she still think of me? You know, do you yeah. still think she looks at my Facebook page? You know, I wonder if she's – you know, compares the guys she dates to me. You know, she must. You know, like that's where kind of Ducat is with Bajor and it's just – but he's – been utterly unable to move i mean and i get like and i guess the question is you know do you think that that's just gold ducat or is it cardassians in general because we don't really know i mean this might be too far afield for this conversation but you know we still don't really know the the details of why cardassia you know decided to to abandon bejor i mean we can make guesses but it is a, it is a degree to which like Gul Dukat, once he became leader of the Cardassian Empire, the Cardassian Union, and joined the Dominion, he suddenly thought, okay, the civilians are out of the picture again. Yeah, we can go back and conquer Bajor. Again. I mean, there 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 is a. I almost get the sense sometimes that he let the Dominion in just to get Bajor back. Like that was the deal with the which, devil for a yeah. very. Sh- I mean, especially given the way he talks to Wei, he's talking with Wei Yun when they're first. Conquering DS9 in that finale, I mean... And I, and I think that that is why Wayun kept him on such a short leash yeah. about that as well. Well, it's very interesting. It, it's because Wayun has a much more practical view. Again, he, he thinks that, you know, 
all right, well, Earth is the linchpin of the Federation, and if we can kill everybody on Earth, that's going to cripple the Federation. Um, he mentions an occupying army at one point, but very much in a practical, well, we need to quash rebellion kind right. of way. He doesn't really seem to care about the statement. He he seems to treat Ducat's, you know, talking about conquering as like, oh, well, if that's what you think is better. Like, he... he he doesn't take Dukat seriously because he thinks he's in a way too emotionally invested in this. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that that's why, you know, where Gul Dukat is left at the end of the episode is so uh, sad, really. Yeah. You know, because it, in a sense, I mean, we haven't really talked about Damar. And, and Damar is interesting. I don't like Damar. But I, you you're know, not supposed I know, to. I know you're not supposed to. I think he's a... For for the level of character that it, he is, we've only seen him in a few episodes. He doesn't have a huge part, but I think he's, I think he is a very interesting character. I, and I and and the funny thing about Demar is that he was in the show, I think, two or three times just as a background okay. guy. You know, before he got a name, before he spoke, and I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, or if they just liked the actor and gave him an actual part when they needed to. He is a good example of of what Deep Space Nine does perhaps best is is expand the universe of characters in a very organic way. Well, one of the and things- I think that you know, not to cut you off, but but you know when they're evacuating the station and Demar murders Zial. That is what sort of, I guess, breaks Gold Ducat down yeah. in a sense and causes him to have some sort of mental breakdown. But is that earned? I don't know. Well, if it had, I will say, if it had happened a week ago, no, it wouldn't have been earned. But at this point, as I've said, he's lost. DS Nine. He's probably lost his position on Cardassia. He's. Major, instead of winning the war for the Dominion as he just expected to, he's lost that. You know, in the space of five minutes, really, everything is taken from him and all he has is his daughter. So she, in a way, becomes proportionally, you know, crucial to him. And I I, I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's honestly in a case of, you know, losing, you know, what, what you know, what the prophets do to the Dominion fleet. Uh just fucks yeah and we'll talk about that. yeah but i mean that's a very huge emotional stress everything goldicott was 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 leading to this moment and it utterly failed and so you know i i definitely buy him desperately going up to his daughter and feeling this is you know when he says you're all i have left he kind of does mean that and that is that is true and then when he loses even her what does goldicott have he's utterly broken I, I think that's somewhat true. I, I'm still not convinced that Gul Dukat actually cares about Zial. No, but and I think it's, that, and, and I say he cares about her for himself in a way. Right, because where I'm going with this is Gul Dukat takes everything extremely personally, right? And he is someone who values the, the appearance of propriety and the appearance of what things look like as opposed to what actually is. And so for him, you know, Zial wanting to be on his, you know, he wants Zial on his side when they conquer the the federation yeah. when they win the war he takes it very personally when this happens the dominion doesn't seem to care that much well i mean certainly they do they're upset I'm, tactically but it's not like it was a they're not taking it personally and i think that that's what is really clear especially in the last part of uh sacrifice of angels is that 
Gul Dukat is too wrapped up personally in what is going on. And Wayun and the female changeling are, you know, they're a little bit upset. You know, tactically, they're they're in a bad position. But they recognize the reality of the situation. And they're like, all right, well, we got dealt a bad hand. We're moving on. I, I, and, and I, I, the, the war will continue and we will just go and, and fix it. Whereas, you know, Gul Dukat has this mental breakdown, which is then you know, exacerbated by the death of Zial, yeah. which of course is more about what Zial represents mm-hmm. to, to him than about actually the person. Yeah. And also then contrast this with Cisco because all throughout these two episodes, Gold Dukat has been very admiring of Cisco, but also dismissive of him because he thinks that, okay, oh, Cisco's clever, but he's not as clever as yeah. he thinks he is. And also Cisco is... He's taking it personally, but he's not becoming overwhelmed by it. And I think that that's what's really clear about this is that for Cisco, the personal interest in Bajor and the personal interest in Deep Space Nine is very closely aligned to their importance to the Federation war effort. Whereas with Gold Dukat, he doesn't care about the wormhole. He doesn't care about the Dominion. He openly says to Demar, "We'll see how long this Dominion thing yeah. lasts once we once we <laughs> you know finish the war." And he really cares about Bajor, and he cares about his own standing. Well, so for him, the war is a means to an end. For Cisco, it's the last resort. I guess for Cisco, in a lot of ways, he uses his passion for his family, for Earth, for Deep Space Nine, for Bajor. As a reason to fight so hard, it's something which, you know, motivates him. But uh, for Gold, he's never blindsided by that. Again, no, that, yeah. Again, Goldicott thinks, that, you know, Goldicott wants to strike back at Bajor and get back at Bajor. And Wayun's point is, well, we do have a treaty with them. And right now, at this particular point in time, we need to honor our treaties because then we're going to have... If we break one, then every single else person we have a treaty with is going to be, and we kind of need to push them to the side for a little bit. You know, the Federation is what we're dealing with right now. So, well, right, because I mean, you have, I mean, you know, to, to to be really like blunt about it, of course, you know, there are a lot of yeah. other alien species in the in the Star Trek universe. I mean, no, most notably the Romulans. Yes. Yeah. So the Dominion would want to establish some sort of credibility. Yeah. If I mean, they know full well that if they break one treaty and then maybe the others will even align with the federation against them at this point you know so they there is always that practical concern cross that with cisco realizing that jake has stayed behind on deep space nine now maybe gold ducat would have you know against all reason gotten back to get his kid because that's what you know it represents but cisco realizing that tactically i can't do that there are uh, again, Cisco is because of his position being pushed to think a little more overarchingly now. Whether he's going to be in that position for much longer or not, I don't necessarily want to put bets on. But well, and he—I mean—he can certainly do that job from Deep Space Nine yeah. just as easily as he can from Starbase Three Seventy Five. Well, he can telecommute, yeah. Well, really, yeah, he can telecommute. He can use that holographic thing that they used once. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree with all of that, and I think that you know. At the end of the day, of course, you know, part of it is the decision to go back to Deep Space Nine is is driven from, you know, uh, frankly, I think probably um, budgetary reasons because you you can't have 
Gold Dukat and Wayun and, and all these Kardashians yeah. in the show every single week for for weekend week out for a whole season. Um, and also, they want to get back to Deep Space Nine. Yeah, they don't want this to become a whole season of how do we get back to Deep Space Nine. And I guess a lot of that, one of the reasons I like this is it is fairly economical. I can see a version of this show that had been done now and a little more pre-planned. Maybe this entire season would have been getting back to Deep Space Nine and then seven and eight are the war. And then nine is the reparations afterwards. Like I have a feeling they're going to go a lot quicker than that and there's going to be a lot less padding. Well, and there's also, I mean, eh, well, I, I don't know. I don't, don't, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> it is still a Star Trek show and they are still doing 26 episodes a season. Of course, of course. You know, that's the other thing as well. You think about, okay, well, if this was a television show made now and they did this for six episodes, that'd be half the season yeah. or more. Game of Thrones is only 10 episodes a season. So it is very different from, from yes. what we expect television to, to kind of do now. But. There's a lot of different ways we could take this conversation. I think that the next thing I want to talk about is the role of Odo in these two episodes. And specifically the role of Odo, the role of Kira, Quark and Rom and Lita and Jake, of course, to a certain degree. But really the meat of a lot of those two is, is Odo and... I guess my question is, you know, how can any of them ever trust him again? Yeah, and I, 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 that line that Kira has, where you know, it's, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he he says, "I'm sorry," and she's like, "It's really too late for I'm sorry." Like, Rom's been arrested; he's going to be executed. They're going to pull the minefield down. The Alpha Quadrant is lost because of you. Like, it doesn't really matter how. Sorry, Odo is at this point because he fucked everything up. Now, certainly at the end, he demonstrates his change of heart and, and you know, that moment between the two of them. It's very clear that Kira is acknowledging, yeah, you did the right thing. It's still a little too late. And it's it's true. How are they going to trust him again? I... My, you know, my my whole thing about that especially is, I mean, obviously, the fe- we, we've talked about this the past couple episodes, but obviously the female changeling is is there primarily to bring Odo back to the Great Link. I think that she does, I think there is a genuine level to which she just wants yeah. to commune with another changeling. That is a part of it. But I also think she does have an agenda. And I think that Odo initially thinks she has an agenda and then, quickly thinks that she doesn't have an agenda, right? Yeah. Because he's like, oh, well, this is great. And I think that there is a degree to which Odo is being overwhelmed by it mm-hmm. as well. He's not used to this form of communication. He's not used to being part of a, or part of the Great Link. I think it's interesting that the, she uses the term Great Link, even though it's only the two of them. Yeah. And it's all right. It's, it's the all right Link. <laughs> but it is the situation where I think that, that the, the most charitable interpretation of this is that Odo is very alone. Odo is very mm-hmm. cut off. Let's not forget that Odo is on the station with a bunch of Cardassians and Jem'Hadar. Yeah. Most of the people that he knows or considered to be friends or friendly are gone. It's basically Kira and, and Quark <laughs> at this point. Uh, Odo's never really had much of a relationship with like Rom or Lita no. or, or Jake. And so I think it's born out of that. I think yeah. the female changeling is using that to her advantage Uh, let's let let's give the dominion credit where it's due the founders are very good they if they want they they know what she knows what she is doing and she's doing it very well so yeah even 
you know, even with Odo at his most guarded, like she she knows the the way into him, and I think there is a degree. Oh yeah, she does. Ew. Uh, they it's, have they, they have, have they have the the, the solid sex. sex um, <laughs> which why? Uh, they well they address that. I think she does it for partially the novelty, partially because she feels he still needs it. I mean, they they have this bit where she talks about they're they're talking about communicating with words and she says yes eventually you won't need it but at this point you still do so i don't mind speaking in words to you you know he's almost still a child to her in a lot of ways or at least inexperienced and practiced yeah that's what makes her such a fascinating character because certainly she does have her own agendas and certainly she is perhaps not a nice person let's say but I also, you know, there is a degree to which she is a complicated person, and she is also, I think, does actually care about Odo. Well, there is a... And, and I, I think for her, Odo, I mean, she flat out mm-hmm. says that Odo is more important than any part of the Alpha Quadrant, the Dominion, if she anything. has to make a choice, yeah. And I believe it. I think because because changelings are more important than anybody else. Um, now, I don't want to sidetrack this conversation, but I do have a question about the sex scene. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they actually shape-shifted into nakedness or did they just sort of like a penis appeared because they were so they were dressed afterwards so i'm just wondering if well like, I it was like her in that it was like it was like her in that weird like pink dress outfit and then just like a vagina i mean i i'm very sure that there is fan fiction in existence that you know goes with both uh interpretations of that um and why only stop at one penis and one vagina i mean when you could have 17 of each on each person and it just interlocks like uh do you remember those like bricks that were uh-huh. like yeah. yeah um maybe odo was a giant penis and she was a giant vagina maybe odo was a giant vagina and she was a small penis okay I mean, all right be, i don't want to yeah, right. now we're gonna write our own fan fiction about that um there were i mean that comes off almost there there's a tone that comes off almost biblical to me which is appropriate considering that the founders are by some revered as gods, but that whole uh, the parable of the lost sheep kind of a thing, where you know God would rather God, you know, if there is a one wayward you know thing, they're going to do anything they can to get it back. So yeah, the changelings want Odo back. It's Odo's nature to want to be back, and I think where they end this when she's leaving and she says, "Oh, it's just a matter of time." I mean. 500 years from now, everybody Odo knows is, has died. Kira's, you know, even if... 100 years. Yeah, let, let's pretend that Odo manages to patch it up with everybody, you know, before the end. Everybody is eventually going to die. And eventually, once the war is over and once everything settles out, you know, given I, I, a long... It's, it's a long enough timeline and, and the changelings make it clear that time doesn't work the same way for them. And so they can wait. There is a lot about time in this episode. I mean, because we got the, the the wormhole aliens as well. Yeah, but I do. I mean, I want to push back on that a little bit because I think that there is a degree to which Cisco appears. You know, the, the the very end of the episode or the very end of the second episode is them sort of reconnecting with people that they haven't seen in a while, and Odo shakes. You know, Odo shakes Cisco's hand. Cisco says, "It's nice to see you, Constable." Is Kira going to tell him what happened? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's an implication to which, like, or, or an undercurrent to which she may not. I mean, it it may just all be chalked up to, you know, we were in a bad situation. Yeah. We were part of a resistance. 
shit went down. Things happened that perhaps should not have happened. During a war, everybody needs to get a little dirty to survive. Yeah. We were all very confused. We were all very upset. We all were not acting as ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it depends on how... I do know the answer to that, but... Partially, it depends on how dramatic they want to make it. Do they want to make an episode where Kira agonizes about, you know, whether to talk to Oda or not, whether she agonizes, you know, does Cisco- We've already sort of had that episode. Yeah. Already, so it might feel a little redundant. Exactly. I, I, I don't know. But, but it is true. This is, how can they trust Odo again? But And also, well, you know, and I think it's, it's also, it's partly trust, but I think a larger part of it is respect. Because... I think Kira both feels disrespected by Odo, mm. and Kira also recognizes that the changelings do not respect solids. Yeah. And I think that that actually is a big part of it that is left unsaid, and that is sort of a subtext. She does to mention this a couple points, like, I'm a solid. Why would you care to explain yourself to me? What does it matter? Like, kind of things. That's where part, yeah, I think that's part of where that's coming from is the female changeling does not respect and openly denigrates everyone that's not a changeling. And I think that Kira recognizes some of that haughtiness in Odo and she is appalled by it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's Kira is as Bajoran as Kira is the line between Bajor and the Federation has been blurring over the series. Uh, Again, Bajor is thinking about joining the Federation. So of course, it's very easy for Bayshore to have a everybody is is equal. We all have differences, you know, and that's fine. But we can learn to work together. I mean, that's a very anti Star Trek notion that a shapeshifter and a non shapeshifter can't ultimately understand and see the world through each other's ways. Again, a lot of the series and this war, this war is a literal testing of which philosophy is right. Is the Federation right? It can we all get along and all work towards the same goal together or is the dominion right? Someone needs to be on top and needs to be kind of putting everything in control. Otherwise, spoiler alert, it's the Federation. Hey, I, I, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a good question though. And I think that that is, it, it, it's the literal. Yeah. Embodiment. It's a very dramatic incarnation idea. of idea. Which has been, again, even going as simple as, can we be friends with the Ferengi kid? Well, and that's really what it comes down to as well, is that there's this idea that DS9 is sort of anti-Trek or something. And to me, especially these six episodes all taken together, indicate that, yes, the Federation has failed in its mission of diplomacy. The Federation has essentially not started a war, but they helped it along. Because they decided that, well, you know, this is it. We can't get any further with this. But at the same time, the Dominion is not acting in good faith. The Federation is trying to act in good faith with them. It's not working. And so to me, it's a a challenge to the ideals of Star Trek in as much as it is a validation of them. Because, you know, I'm not spoiling anything when I say that the Federation is not going to lose the war and the Dominion is not going to conquer them. You know, that would be the anti-Trek ending yeah. to the show. <laughs> but at this point, it, I, I, I mean, my so my question, I, and I guess the question that I'm wondering, and, you know, this is still a Federation question, I guess, to ask, but how do we get to the Dominion to finally acknowledge and live next to us? How do we get the changelings to realize that, no, solids still have a ha- have dignity and merit? Because it is about converting Part, them, isn't it? It is. And I think part of that answer will be 
the Federation defeating them. Yeah, but then what? Because is, there, the implication that the Dominion has never lost a war before. Yeah, but and and I guess the uh, then the other question that this is making me ask is what is defeating the the Dominion going to look like? Is it because again, just as just as it's <laughs> just as it's easy to bomb Earth, they could go a secret mission and bomb the Founders' homeworld and you know kill they, all of they. The, they tried, yeah, or at least the Cardassians and the Romulans tried. That's true, but the Federation, has the Federation tried. did but, not try. But you know, you know. The Federation actually tried to stop them when they found out. Yeah. they. Got, I mean, there are a lot of different... But that was before they were in active war, and you don't really want to fuck with the Federation. Again, beware the nice ones. But, you know, how, what is defeating the Dominion going to look like to the Federation? Is it just a military victory? I feel like that's a shallow answer for this kind of a series. Uh, it, it will not be. And that, yeah, that's what I like. It's not going to just... There is not going to be a point where they've killed every single Jem'Hadar and then the founders are basically saying, well, we have no more guards left, you know. Yeah. It, well, that's right, exactly. And I think that, that you will be very satisfied with where it goes, at least in part. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I'm not going to say how long the war lasts. No. I'm not going to, you know, anything like that. But it definitely is a satisfactory answer, I think. Good. Let's talk about the wormhole aliens. Because on the one hand, it's a complete deus ex machina. On the other hand, it's completely consistent with everything that's been building up. I mean, the show. I was surprised, number one, that Cisco seemed to be surprised that they because when he said, oh, we're going to the wormhole, I thought, all right, he's going to ask the prophets to intercede at this point. Um, well, partly I think he's he's surprised because the prophets have not really done something like this before mm. i don't think it would have occurred to cisco to ask them to yeah. disappear the fleet because that's not what they do no and the fact that they we we haven't really known we we know so little about the wormhole aliens still we've only really heard mostly legends and interpretations at this point yeah but their abilities have been so far limited towards prophecy. Again, they they're a chronological, so they can kind of see the future. Um, they can see. Well, it's not that they can see the future; it's it, that the future doesn't exist. That's they 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 live in all times at once, and so you know, all times are the same time. Yeah, they sent orbs, but that kind of power where they can make thousands of ships just go somewhere—that's creepy. Yeah, where do the ships go? No one knows. Yeah. The prophets are not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, in the first episode of this two-parter, we find out that that Cisco thinks of Bajor's home. Yes. When he goes home, it's going to be to Bajor. He's going to retire He's there. going to build a house there. And then at the end of the second episode, the prophets have made this very, very vague and yet disturbing proclamation that, because but, of his impetuousness, that the yeah. Cisco will find no comfort on Bajor, and then he can never really, you know. And what does that mean? Well, that reminds again, going biblical a second. It reminds me of Moses died within sight of the promised land. He was never actually allowed to settle there. I don't remember if it was because he committed some kind of sin or something, and was deemed unworthy or something like that. But it's a very similar thing, you know. Because of that, Cisco will not be able to build his house on Bajor for some reason. We don't know what that's going to be, but the Bajor... You know. Or that if he does build it, things are not going to end... Yeah. Bad, or are going to end badly for him. 
I don't know. I mean, I guess my question for you is, do, do you think that that was an earned ending to that storyline? I mean, because on the one hand, they built this up, this, this up as, oh, we have to get back before they detonate the minefield. And we you- they were able to I, I that I felt like they were able to have their cake and eat it too oh no it was great yeah it was great we saw this holy shit the minefield what's gonna happen everything panicked but things still got out okay i mean i knew that this was not going to end with you know one hundred and twenty-five thousand uh dominion ships surrounding ds9 but yeah that would be a little too far um i you know i do think because there is a criticism of the end of this episode which is that it comes out of nowhere it's a deus ex mach and it's not earned and i actually completely disagree i think that this is the only way that this could have satisfactorily ended because the minefield, number one, a sacrifice of angels especially, is very, very well crafted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tension of the minefield, you know, we've got 12 hours, we've got three hours, we've got nine hours. Oh, yeah. The countdown is great. It builds nicely. It gives it a structure. The whole thing about, you know, them getting arrested and Quark having to go do this, and you know. And, you know, with Zial and, and the, the fleet intercutting with the fleet. I mean, yeah. the battle's not really that much of a part of it. <laughs> yeah, and- it, it, it says a lot that the space battle, which was excellent, was the least interesting part of this episode. I mean, really, the, the end of the episode. I mean, I just, like, I've seen this episode multiple times, but especially the end of it with Gul Dukat crying over his daughter yeah. and then his little monologue in the cell. I mean, it's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But... That, like I said, there is a criticism to which they say that this is not earned. And I say, well, I think that... It's completely earned. You know, this is the only way that this really could have ended. You know, the the, the wormhole aliens have been there throughout the series. They have been uh, established as inscrutable. They have been established as atemporal. They have been established as we don't know what their, you know, we we don't know what their abilities are. And I guess I want well, I want to say it's not that it's entirely unearned because number one. They're not willing initially to do anything about it. They um, don't really seem to care. It's not only through it's only through Cisco's begging, and there is nobody else who probably could have done you know gotten no, them yeah. to do that. Um, and the fact that they pronounce this, you know, you'll never find rest on Bayshore, like they exact a price from him too. Like this, and again, was, we don't know what that price is necessarily, but it's not doesn't I, sound great. I mean, we have to grapple with the wormhole alien slash profits because. Cisco says very interesting things when he's talking to them where he's like, you obviously care about Bajor. You obviously feel like you're a part of Bajor. This is not going to be good for Bajor. You need to do something. And of course, this harkens back. I think this is a nice uh, roundabout way to go back to the very first episode of the show where Cisco is talking to the wormhole aliens, teaching them about time through baseball, all these things, right? And they sort of proclaim him the emissary or whatever they do. And, he is over the past five and a half years the only person, really, I think, who could have talked them into doing well, this. Well, doesn't Quark talk a g- 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 good game to them, too? But yeah, you but know. that's Quark, you know, yeah, and that was much lower stakes, yeah. <laughs> but it that's is... Quark be that's Quark being a silver tongue. This is yes. Cisco, you know, at this. I mean, Cisco is angry, Cisco yeah. is basically yelling, at Cisco them. rages at gods. He, 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 uh. Well, he essentially challenges them. I mean, he says, look, you yeah. you want to be seen as gods. Act like gods. I understand. Yeah. And I, I understand why they're pissed at him. But at the same time, they do. He does humble them enough that they actually do it. They do realize that this is the right thing to do. It, it, 
It's debatable whether it's the right thing to do. I, I don't know if I agree with that. What, disappearing all of the ships? Yeah, I, I mean, from a morality, can you just kill all of these Jem'Hadar or do whatever, you spirit them away or make it as if they never existed? Sure, that's that, but at the well, to intercede, Cisco certainly believes that them interceding in some way is well. This, I mean, this is a very, it's a very thorny issue because mm-hmm. this is something, and I think this is people's uncomfortableness with it is that it is very mystical, it is very sort yeah. of religious in its implications, and this is not a a franchise that necessarily has done a good job of respecting religion or respecting uh, uh uh you know spirituality and i'm not overstating the case that deep space nine is some sort of spiritual show but it does grapple with the questions of these wormhole aliens slash prophets yeah. in a very real way one of the major and- species on the show that's you know very well drawn on the show has religion as very central to their life, and they do take their religion very seriously. Certainly, the show has gone into the Arthur Clarke thing of are these just aliens who are just so advanced below, you know, above us? Are they gods? Is there a difference between the, those kind of questions? Right, because the you know, sort of the the thing is too is that you go back to the very first episode of the show, and it's like, well, why did they let the wormhole be discovered at that point? You know, like there are all these open questions mm. about. What the what the prophets, what the wormhole aliens are really doing and why they're doing it and why they're not doing it or why they're doing certain things and not doing other things. And I think that that's really what it comes down to is that this end of this of the show, especially of this particular episode, is really incumbent on drawing a clear distinction between the Dominion and among, I guess, the Dominion, the Federation and Bajor and the wormhole aliens, because the Dominion are working from a presumption of strength. The Dominion are working from a, pres- a presumption of, you know, science, and so yeah. does the Federation. And then here is Cisco essentially using gods to stop them. And yes, I can understand why some people would think that that would be unearned, but I find it completely consistent with the way that the show has developed these these uh, creations over yeah. the past five years. No, I, I I liked it. I found that was, and again, because it doesn't just. It isn't just that the wormhole aliens appear, sweep away all the Jem'Hadar, and everything's happy. Like, right? There were some that that it was not easily gotten. Right. Yeah, it was not easily gotten, and, and it was there will that, be there are consequences to calling in this favor, and we don't know what they're going to be. And also, presumably, I mean, they don't state this in the episode outright, but presumably, they're going to keep the wormhole closed. Well, yeah, we're not sure if they're. I mean, they can certainly. At or they're not point, going re- to let any other Dominion ships pass through or something. They can remine the wormhole probably as easily as they were able to mine it, which is not to say easily, but, you know, at this point, the Dominion has done a strategic strategic retreat. All they need is a couple days. Yeah, It's true. probably going to be priority number one. But I, but I do think that, that you know, they're not going to pull that trick twice and mm. have the Dominion conquer Deep Space Nine again. No. I think narratively speaking, that would be a dead end. Of course. They did what they needed to do in that plot line, and they did it well. Now they're they're back to normal, quote-unquote. I, I mean, if, I, I don't know what they're going to do as far as closing the wormhole or just patrolling it better, but I, I, I'm fine if they file that under all of the stuff of the war that we're not really actually dealing with or seeing. Like, obviously, there are battles left and right that— you know, just aren't important. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I mean, one of the things that I really like, especially about about the the, the first episode is, 
or actually no, I think it's the second episode where it feels very lived in. You know, you've got um, O'Brien and you have Bashir, you know, singing on the ship, and you've got you know a, a Nog kind of yelling at them, and <laughs> it, you know, and then that, that nice line about O'Brien. Listen to O'Brien; he's a professional. There is an element to which all of the characters. I mean, because aside from Obviously, this is Gold Ducat's episode. This is Odo's episode. This is Cisco's two-parter, right? Like, these are the main characters in these episodes. But all the other characters are sort of incidental, right? Mm-hmm. They they have moments and stuff, but they're not there necessarily a lot, and they're not really there for any, you know, real um, statement, right? Yeah, Quark, Quark kills two Jemadar, and it's badass, but it's not like he... Uh has the philosophical I mean there there is Well, he's very disturbed by it. Well, yeah, but I mean there's you know this is about quark. Uh I, what what are the things that when we're talking about Damar that I was thinking is, you know, part of the reason I like Damar as a character even though I hate him is how well he has very different relationships with all of the different characters. Like he has he he yeah oh yeah he has a very different relationship with Kira than he does with Zial than he does with Ducat than he does with Odo I, I, then I'm sorry than he does with Quark and I think is you know well, Quark well, for the most part is helping out the relation the resistance by being a bartender right he hears things he's able to he knows how to convince Demar to talk and at right. this point you know and after he's done that once Demar kind of takes him into his confidence because yeah. he's his bartender and. Yeah. So he's filtering, but this is, and Quark is not willing to go the extra and be actively in the resistance. He's a little too, you know, scared. But when he realizes that everything really is down to them, it's Quark stepping up. And we always like moments where Quark does that. Yeah, and I don't think we've really given Quark enough justice in these two episodes. Yeah. Because this really is, I think, the 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 culmination of the journey that Quark has been on for five years yeah you know i mean openly saying you know in this entire build-up of this uh season that he wants the federation back that he misses them and now he is actively taking steps to make that happen this Mm -hmm. is a profound shift that quark has made that the quark of season two would not have done quark and garrick both i mean garrick is on federation vessels and trusted enough to be uh you know on the bridge so yeah, both of them have gone in from, you know, characters who are kind of on the sidelines or have their own agenda to characters who, when push comes to shove, can be trusted. And I think in a way, you know, it's 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 interesting because I think that in in a certain sense, the the main characters, you know, O'Brien, Jadzia, mm-hmm. um, you know, Julian, uh, you know, Worf is hardly in these episodes. And a lot of the secondary characters are taking up most of the screen time. Yeah. You know, Gold Ducat, Damar, Rom. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's it's fascinating to me that the show is able to construct such rich secondary characters that can carry an entire episode and sideline our regulars. I mean, l- let's be honest, even Morn has, has, has a very sh- significant role in this. And yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I know I like Morn and you hate him, but I don't hate him. I, you know, it, it, I just don't see why everyone loves him. But I, th- I think it's interesting because at this point, Morn very much is the barfly who just, he likes to drink and play Davo and that's all he is. And, you know, by that reason, he's utterly he, – he's somebody that 
everybody is going to overlook, you know. Yeah. And a- as a result, he becomes, you know, a current. And as Cisco says, oh, yeah, I've known that guy for five years. Of course, this is a real message. Like, <laughs> his, his, he's both above suspicion and has impeccable credentials because he's working for nobody. He has no agenda. True. You know, true. Yeah. He, his better nature is probably what leads him to do this, but... And I'm sure he's not exactly yeah. thrilled with the Dominion being con- in control of the station either. That's I'm it. sure it's not quite as fun as it used to be. Yeah, but at the same time, he has no security on him because he's just an old drunk at a bar. Right. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, I mean, the other the, I mean, the other character we haven't really talked about much is, is Jake. Because I think that the the one criticism you could make of this sort of six-part yeah, thing, especially the last part. They don't do part, anything with him. They don't really do anything with him. You know? And I, I think it's a shame. I mean, yeah. they make this big deal about him being a reporter and he's going to be able to get stories out and they do that one I thing I was with, ready for him to have his underground newsletter or somehow figure out a way of getting news out. And that's been abandoned at this point. He's going to... You know, he'll certainly – he'll be the one who is going to be telling the stories about what happened in DS9 over these past couple months. But uh, <laughs> everything's done now. You know, he's just yeah. going to be more his history than news. Yeah, which I think is a shame because they yeah. could have done – I mean, I guess it's just a case of there was a lot to do, especially in this last two episodes. And if they couldn't fit everything in, well, they couldn't fit everything in. I mean, it almost does seem like the way, you know, they they end season five with Jake's going to be a reporter. And then when they sit around to write season six, someone asks, wait a second, why are they letting news out of DS9? You know, there would be a communications break. Shit. And then right. – But then they may – you know – you know, that said, they found ways of making the communications block be interesting again. You know, getting more to deliver this one message is, you know, uh, an exciting payoff. So, you know, maybe they sacrificed the initial thing in order to make a bigger. Yeah, that could certainly be. And I, and I think that, you know, Jake has always been a character that they use as much as they need to. Yeah. Certainly is not a Wesley type, right? And so... No, I can just... I guess what I have to do was assume that he's doing a little more behind-the-scenes stuff than we quite see, but, you know, he's, you know, using his position-ish that he has to kind of find out and make sure the right people are talking to the right people. Yeah, yeah. I think essentially that's correct. One last thing I wanted to mention, a couple lines from Wayne, particularly in the first episode... He talks about uh, how Vorta have no aesthetics yeah, and how, yeah. you know, he says, well, if the founders wanted us to, they would have included it in our genetic makeup. You know, we have poor eyesight but excellent hearing. So, you know, further evidence that, you know, the founders have, if not created the Vorta, then altered them greatly from. I don't know. Like, that. there is something horrifying about that. And I, every time I get onto that, it is, you know, the Dominion have... I, I mean, they're 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 a species of shapeshifters. They are, in a way, forcibly shape shifting the yeah. shapes of people they come to. Whether that's you know gifting the Vorta with you know excellent hearing and you know and assume a very logical mind and a very you know very very tactical sense, uh, or whether it's giving the planet from the quickening a disease. You yeah, know, they, they they almost seem to punish the solids by forcibly shifting them. I don't know if it's punishing. I, I, I think it's just that they see them as tools to be shaped yeah. in whatever way that they need. And they don't really consider them people, yeah. essentially. And I think that that's – I think you're, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that 
especially Wayun in these last two episodes, I think is 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 not to be offensive, humanized huh. a lot. You know, he is obviously odious and he is working against the Federation and he is working for a totalitarian organization, but at the same time, he was genetically manipulated to do this. He is in a bad situation. Uh obviously they're they're using the abilities of the 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 Vorta to hide the fact that they don't necessarily care about them really mm. and also that you know the whole thing about him not having an aesthetic sense because that would be a waste for a diplomat um you know poor eyesight because what does a diplomat need with eyesight but of course great hearing is fantastic yeah. for a diplomat and it is the situation where those things it, i mean you're not really feeling sorry for Wayun because of anything he's doing it's or or even saying that's specific to him but he can't be other right right i mean we, they're we, locked in i think that's really what it comes down to well it's to just like that. the jemhadar are locked in and you know he talks about the jemhadar of great eyesight you know, they they obviously of course they do. have a very different and i mean you know maybe the border are very strategic thinking and the Jemadar are excellent tactically or whatever, you know, whatever they've, they've been grown or altered or created to be this. And just as we've seen the Jemadar kind of hit the wall where they're about to get a little more, but then they stay what they are. Like the Vorta, you know, maybe even have these moments like that. Uh, and it also, you know, it, it makes me wonder the Jemadar kept in line through Catcher Cell White. Yeah. Why? How are the changelings keeping the Vorta in line? Yeah, is it just that? We don't see anything, yeah. at least yet. No, I, I, it's the one of the things that they've said a lot about, uh, Klingons particularly have said this about the Jem'Hadar, but they don't, you know, they don't like wine, they don't like women, they don't like opera, they don't like, you know, food. You know, what do they like? How do they relax? How do they have pleasure? Well, if the Vorta don't really have an aesthetic sense, how do the Vorta get, you know, pleasure? It's not like... You know, it would be one thing if the Vorta were kept in line by bread and circuses and the, yeah. you know, the, they, they are provided with every need they could possibly want and every luxury. But do they really are they really into luxuries? They're not. I mean, that's the thing is that they don't seem to really have much of a life again. And I can pick uh, I, I'm kind of headcanoning how these species kind of started and became the form that they are. But. You can definitely see them as a species who want, in order to save their own skin, you know, basically, you know, they were probably the first to let the, you know, they, they did probably similar to what Goldicott did, you know, just hand them, hand the Dominion, hand the founders their planet, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can make the decisions, and they're going to be ro- rewarded by being their ambassadors, and, yeah, you know, maybe it's just as simple as they know the founders could destroy them if they wanted to, and they don't. You know, in a way, well, I, the, the 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 founders depend on the Vorta, but they also don't need them because they can. Again, they're playing the long game. If the Vorta start rebelling, they can just wipe out the Vorta and and start over. Yeah, what do they care? They'll be alive forever. Yeah, but we won't be. <gasps> so we should end this episode. Oh, good. If you have any thoughts on the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. If you're enjoying our podcasting, including our other podcast, Tuning In, which is releasing the episode on Firefly, the episode Trash, which was quite good, I remember, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give generously. And now would be a good time to give $5 a month or more because 
you will get our new patron special, which is coming out next week, oh. on the classic 1997 documentary, Trekkies. It's about Trekkies. It is, starring none other than one Denise Crosby, who played Tasha Yar for half a season and never escaped Star Trek. And now, that- Not that you would want to. Because it's no. wonderful here. And now that I've seen TNG season one, I know who she is because I've seen it before. You do. So yes, please go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, trekaboutshow. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for trekaboutshow. We would appreciate it. Next week, we are talking about the episodes, You Are Cordially Invited... Which Richard may have a guess about what that is. He's looking at me blankly, so he's obviously not paying attention to the show at all. Is somebody going to a party? Uh, what have Worf and Jadzia been talking about? Oh, I've been blanking that out every time. And Resurrection. Oh, no. One of those is terrible and one of those is pretty good. I I'll hope- leave it to your imagination to find out which one it is. <laughs> We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>